0: topics discussed are for educational purposes only. Now welcome, Integrative Dietitians Allie Miller and her co-host Becky Yu.
1: Welcome to the Naturally Nourished podcast. You are joining us for episode one 20 biohacking your biology and lifestyle. So, we have a lot coming at you in this episode and it really comes full circle as we're talking all about biohacking. We'll be kicking off with as always the delightful super nerdy approach on biochemistry and genetics and epigenetics and all things considered between. And really, how you can biohack, we'll, we'll define that, don't worry, guys, uh, your genetic predispositions and your biological tendencies. Then we'll shift gears into biohacking your lifestyle and environment, going through some highlights from our ancestral podcast back in episode 96. And full circle, we'll be closing things out from our friend Joe at CrowdCow to share his awesome story on how real food can bring people together and really connecting with biohacking the biology of the animal and how that influences the nutrition of the consumer. So why grass-fed matters and, and really just kind of connecting ourselves with someone who curates high-quality protein selection.
2: Awesome. And when you hear that word biohacking, don't be scared, guys. We'll get into (laughs) the the definition in a second here. But I think people can think, oh my God, they're going to turn me into a science lab injecting stem cells into my brain. And like, we're not talking that kind of biohacking. Um, Right. We're talking about things you can do in your own home with resources that are easily, (laughs) hopefully. Yeah, Yeah. yeah. easily accessible. (laughs) Um, So let's just start out and and kick off, Allie, by defining what we mean by biohacking.
1: Yes, so biohacking is something that you do to – interact with the biological processes to have favorable outcomes. So we're typically looking at things that are like anti-aging, uh, weight reducers or metabolic supporters, uh, things that are going to reduce inflammation as another example. So when you're going to biohack, and, and like Becky said, like Anything out there, you guys, whether we're talking about the keto diet, whether we're talking about a low glycemic approach or what have you, there's always different interpretations. So the way that I define biohacking is starting with understanding. So you have to always understand the areas of focused need. And this means that we probably want to do some investigative research on the individual, which means probably some functional advanced labs. So we would want to look at pairing the information we find in the lab workup with a basic understanding of anatomy and physiology and the biological or biochemical processes of the body. And then you figure out what tools you want to implement to try to accelerate certain processes, block certain processes, and essentially enhance quality of life factor.
2: Awesome. So if you're already (laughs) doing some of those things, you might be a biohacker and like not even realize it, right? (laughs) Totally.
1: Totally. So when I break it down, we think of things like genetics are probably the most like sexy science, if you will, as far as biohacking and probably the most direct connection. Because when we look at our genetics, we can identify SNPs We'll get a little bit more detailed into that because I'm going to unpack the concept of genetics, but that's one component. So we look at our genetics, we look at our digestion, absorption, and essentially really the byproduct of our uh, intestines. So stool is a good marker as some of that investigative research. With the stool, we can look at things like secretory IgA, which is a marker of leaky gut. We can look at things like butyrate, which is a marker in our colon based on the uh, fermentation that goes on by our probiotic strains, and we know butyrate is a marker to help to protect against colon cancer. So based on what we see, even as simple as like a stool report, we can then be strategic and quote-unquote biohack by doing a gut cleanse or by taking probiotic supplements in a lactobifido like my targeted strength formula if you see low butyrate or using GI lining support powder with the glutamine and the diglycerized licorice and the aloe to support leaky gut if you have a low secretory IgA. So genetics, The digestive world, looking at a stool report, we can look at environment. So we can actually take aside from a lab assessment, looking at our lifestyle environment. So if we have a higher toxic environment, maybe we work in the cosmetic industry or we work in a building that has, you know, new carpets installed or what have you, you could be biohacking by using our cellular antiox, which has acetylated glutathione and NAC, and those are going to support the detox processes. You can biohack your diet based on that environment by eating more uh, cruciferous vegetables that give you these Eindol-3-carbinols. You could focus on more cilantro and cumin, which help us to chelate toxic metals, if you have an environment that's high stress, you can biohack that by biohacking your sleep patterns. And we'll talk a little bit about that today and how we can unpack some lifestyle elements. And really, the the reality of this, and I hope we make these kind of aha connections, is that, in in fact, one could say that, like, taking any nutritional supplement in my, in my naturally nourished product line is biohacking, right? Because you're enhancing or working a particular process in your body, right? You're taking something with a functional purpose to upregulate or support a biochemical process.
2: Yes, and I think that's the coolest part to me when you mentioned supplemental support to either enhance sleep or, you know, detoxifying foods to support the process that's in higher demand per that higher toxin exposure versus, you know, putting on, like, a crazy virtual reality helmet and, like, <laughs> I don't even know what these people do. I really, you know, there's, there's some good, like, geeky science nerds out there who go so deep on this stuff, like... Ben Greenfield (laughs) in this world, but, um, I think it's really cool and empowering that there are tools that you guys may already be using or things that are in your kitchen or already in your repertoire that you can use to further empower yourself. So I think we want to spend the majority of our time today in that like lifestyle diet element, But before we do that, I do want to kind of circle back on the genetic piece of the puzzle and just unpack a little bit further how you can biohack your genes.
1: Right. Because we think, and we talk about this in episodes 69 and 70. So Becky, will be sure to link those in the show notes. Uh, Episode 70 is when we interviewed... uh, Dr. Ben Lynch on his book, Dirty Genes. And in episode 69, I introduced the concept of the genome and epigenetics or the influence that our environment, our diet, our stress can have on genetic expression. And that in itself is so empowering because we tend to think of, you know, genes being the most stagnant, right? You're born with your 23 chromosomes from mom, 23 from dad, and that is your genetic code, right? But we now know that based on better understanding of the human genome, you may have these SNPs, which are stand they stand for single nucleotide polymorphisms. Don't disconnect yet. It's not <laughs> going to get that bee po-poo beyond that. But basically, these SNPs, the most popular or known one is is probably the MTHFR gene. And we actually talked a little bit deeper about this also in episode 101 with Carrie Brown when we talked about depression and bipolar disorder and the influence that 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 particular gene can have on neurotransmitters and mood stability. So what these SNPs are is basically a genetic mutation and there's going to be ramifications or repercussions that occur based on that mutation. So either we're not able to produce something. We're not able to excrete something. And it does play an influencing role on the symphony, if you will, of expression of balance in the body. So running your genetics, you can run a panel um, through us, which I can link in the show notes, which looks at, I believe it's 53 different genetic um, SNPs. And you would score either homozygous, meaning both genes, homo meaning the same both genes being mutated heterozygous means just one copy either moms or dads that they gave you is mutated and otherwise you would have no snip on that gene so uh, this is a way that we can understand what we're predisposed to as a risk factor and then if you work with a functional practitioner that understands the again anatomy physiology and biochemical impact of that gene you can support your body with nutritional supplementation and lifestyle.
2: Sure. And I think that's the coolest thing. It's like, okay, your genes are kind of this set you know, plan of what could happen. Right. Um, but there's so much that you can do to kind of circumvent and clean up environment and all of the things to make sure those things don't express.
1: Absolutely. So if we just focus on three, because I want to get, like I said, beyond yes. Yes. this isn't just <laughs> your genes. This is biohacking your biology, right? But so let's focus on three. So MTHFR for sure is the first one I'll I'll dig into a little bit. And um, that stands for an enzyme in the body called methylene tetrahydrofolate reductase. And this plays a role in the body's processing of amino acids or the building blocks of proteins. It plays a multi-step process that converts homocysteine, which is a marker of cardiovascular disease risk to a conversion of methionine. And we always said it in, in my biochem at Bastier, it was from, from SAM to SA, S-adenosylmethionine to S-adenosylhomocysteine. Those are the bigger terms. But anyway, when you have this MTHFR gene, um, SNP, what happens is you have higher amounts of homocysteine. You don't convert into that SAMe or that methionine compound. And SAMe is generally produced in the liver. It has a lot of beneficial influence on detoxification and also on neurotransmitter production. So we see conditions at higher risk with people that have the MTHFR SNP to have higher predisposition towards heart disease, or any form of, you know, cardiovascular dysfunction. We see higher risk factors within that world also of stroke, Alzheimer's disease. We see a higher uh, prevalence of mood disorders, as I mentioned. So from ADHD to autism to depression to bipolar disorder. We see impact on chronic fatigue. We see a higher prone towards hormonal issues, including PCOS and infertility and miscarriage. In fact, we can connect that dot that folate, you know, is one of the big Hormone, excuse me, B vitamins that we think of in a prenatal, as we've talked about in many episodes, to support that neural tube defect, right? So um, it definitely plays a role with also the fertility factor and healthy pregnancy and full term carriage. And then we can see impact on um, digestive function, including irritable bowel syndrome and inflammatory bowel disease. So A lot of influencing factors and what we can do to biohack MTHFR – is to eliminate folic acid. So any synthetically enriched food, a lot of health foods you have to be mindful to, will be enriched, and they're going to be enriched with the synthetic. The issue is for people with MTHFR, they're not able to convert that folic acid into methylfolate, the bioavailable form, and that folic acid can build up and create more distress in the body. So avoiding synthetically enriched foods, this includes a lot of Like five hour energy or vitamin water or most forms of nutritional yeast. Um, These are all things to watch out for. And then you want to, on the other hand, eat a diet that is rich in natural whole food forms of folate. So, liver is the best form that you can get followed by leafy greens and avocado. All of these would be really folate-rich foods. And then on top of that, I would supplement with a multivitamin that has methylated form of folate and B12. So you want to avoid any supplement that has folic acid or cyanocobalamin. That's the synthetic form of B12. And any form of our multivitamins, whether we're talking Kids all the way through multi-defense and the multi-avail mama, the prenatal that we have, anything in the naturally nourished line is only going to provide the nature-made quadrifolate or the methylated forms of folate. You're never going to get synthetic folic acid. And so if you're dealing with a child with early onset of ADHD, that may be one of the first tools is start them on the multi-avail kids, which is going to support that methylation process.
2: Okay, awesome. So that's all on MTHFR. And I'll make sure I link the products that we mentioned. Um, And then going on to COMT, I know this plays more of a role in like estrogen detox, as well as I think of it more in like the mental health realm of things too.
1: Yes, and this is the dance that you don't want to quote unquote overmethylate, right? So COMT plays a role with our catecholamines. It stands for catechol methyltransferase, and basically, this gene helps us to maintain appropriate levels of the stress responding neurotransmitters, which are the dopamine, norepinephrine, and epinephrine in the brain. People that have COMT are usually very creative, very tight focused, but they can kind of be like those creative genius like mentality where they just like (laughs) go, go, go. They can often run on overdrive and um, they can also be over-ruminators. So we think of in this construct supporting that methylation process because this also has that methylation, catecholomethyltransferase, with actually giving them the active SAMe. And I'm right now working on figuring out a private label formula. But right now, we will put in the show notes Blissphora, um, which is uh, by Metagenics. um, And that has the SAMe with methylfolate and methyl B12. It's a really great regulator of the brain chemistry and the stress response. We also see that magnesium is very supportive. And specifically, our Relax and Regulate would be a great tool because it has the magnesium bisglycinate, the most neurologically bioavailable, form of magnesium paired with inositol, and inositol is going to help to support that estrogen metabolism because we know COMT people are higher risk towards breast cancer, ovarian cancer, and estrogen dominance in general. So something really important to think about. High fiber diet is really important for a COMT individual. And then supporting that stress access with like herbs and L-theanine. So our calm and clear would be a great tool for this individual for sure because that's going to give them the nervines, adaptogens, the B vitamins in their active form, and that L-theanine. Okay.
2: Okay. Awesome. And then on to GST. And I know this plays more of a role with liver function, detox. So tell us a little bit about that. Just yeah. So this
1: stands for glutathione S transferase. And this is a group of enzymes that work in basically concert with glutathione. And glutathione, remember, is critical for the removal of toxins in the body. We see a huge impact with glutathione deficiency and cognitive decline, memory loss, um, a lot of neurodegenerative disorders, and and also upper respiratory, so like reactive airway, asthma, and then a whole world of cancer pathology because you can have more oxidative damage and um, lower antioxidant capacity. Glutathione, again, is the highest, most potent um, antioxidant on that pathway of building blocks. So we would bring in our cellular antioxidant, which is S acetylglutathione, and uh, balanced with NAC and acetylcysteine, which is the precursor to make more glutathione. Um, and that's also paired with B6, which helps that, that support of that conversion. Um, Also, super turmeric, which is the most bioavailable form of curcuminoids, and we know that those upregulate just the phase two detox process, so it's the excretion pathways without overactivating the breakdown of toxins in the body. So those would be two therapeutic supplements, and then we're going to get into in a moment some of the lifestyle supports to reduce toxicity. So the coolest thing with all of this and these three genes to think about is that you know you can preemptively you could invest absolutely in the $499 genetic panel that we'll link here in the show notes. Or you can listen to the feedback of your body. And if you know you're under high stress, take the Calm and Clear, which is going to support that pathway, right? If you want to do the quarterly detox like we support, that's going to support GST1. Um, So you can also be intuitive with symptoms and support your body proactively.
2: Right. I know I have so many clients who are like, well, I have to know if I have this MTHFR. And it's kind of like, well, it's so that one in particular, that, you know,
1: 40 MTHFR.
2: to 60%. So yeah. Fun. And then it's like, okay or you could just assume that you have it and you know put that couple hundred bucks on the genetic panel toward a you know methylated B vitamin and a B complex if you're under high stress and because
1: you know, why not yeah, yeah.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and like doing that stuff anyway means your body doesn't have to work as hard either way right right
1: right taking the bioactive form absolutely
2: Okay. So really a lot of the functional medicine approaches in a way are, you know, biohacking already because they impact that genetic expression. And especially in this sense of nutrigenomics or how nutrients can influence genetics. So beyond supplements, lifestyle wise, um, some of the biggest biohacking tools that we see are actually going back. So it's not like using crazy technology to get around this stuff. It's going back to, you know, kind of our, our old ways or more of an ancestral approach before we were in this like chronic stress, overdrive, overexposure to toxins and all the things. Right yeah. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah,
2: So let's highlight some trends of lifestyle that we see as important.
1: Yes. So, you know, the word biohack, a lot of times people are going to want to sell you things and we will talk a little bit about some of the tools like blue blocker glasses and some of those things. Sometimes you do have to add, but I like to think of biohacking as reduce the stressor, right? Reduce the exposure as, as best as possible. So in episode 96 of the Naturally Nourished podcast, we talked about ancestral trends and some of the big highlights in that episode were to root deep, We talked about the blue zones, right? So blue zones that have community involvement um, are a huge piece. And then the other part of rooting deep is actually getting outside. We talked about grounding and the electromagnetic charge that we can have with actually making connection with the earth. So you can learn more about that in that episode. But one of my goals to biohack is to get outside at least one hour daily. Like that's like a reasonable biohack, right? that also helps with our circadian rhythm, um, helps with our melatonin production, but we do have energy charge influence actually. Also biohacking like our posture. We know that sitting is the new smoking. We know that sitting for extended periods of time is, is really harsh on our body and it can cause muscle tightness. It can destroy our structural health and it can cause injury and chronic pain, which would distress some of those biochemical processes, right? So Biohacking could be like I like to sit on an exercise ball, which at least in, it is going to activate my core. Um, I like to set alarms in between clients, get some steps, in, and I'm really working on upping to get that consistency of 10,000 steps a day. That would be a biohack truly. And then taking that a level further, moving and sweating regularly. We know sweating even in the onset of like sauna, especially sauna that is infrared and counteracts the blue light exposure can be very therapeutic. But maybe just sweating. Through exercise, at least you know four to five times a week, really working your body, and then maybe doing like an Epsom salt bath, which is going to reset the detox pathways and have cleansing influence.
2: And those are all pretty, you know, seemingly simple. Biohacks that again you can do without expensive equipment or like anything crazy. In fact, you know, for for rooting deep and kind of that grounding, it's like you need to take off your shoes and walk in the grass, and like that's free, you guys.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. And and it's a great uh, way to again kind of connect, and it will also reset your stress response. Mm-hmm. So much good. Get some vitamin D again. There's there's multifactorial benefit when you can go to these kind of like rooted original connections of how humans have really, we have not evolved yet to the technological advancements and toxicity in our environment. So we want to try to think of, of how we can kind of block and, and get back.
2: Yes. So knowing that, um, what would you say are other important aspects of detox support that we can bring into this realm?
1: So we talk about the importance of hydration, I think a good amount, but maybe not enough. Um, You know, I think that that's one, Becky, that you and I are so good about that we Mm -hmm. often overlook it, but I can't tell you how often in clinic I have clients that are struggling to get 48 fluid ounces of water, you know, and we really emphasize a minimum regardless of your body weight of two and a half liters of water every single day, right? And then at least if you're, if you're over, you know, 200 pounds, you'd want to get beyond the three liters a day. Um, water is so important in the process of lipolysis or the breaking your fat cells for metabolic benefits. So it actually helps with body fat burn. It helps to support detoxification. Remember, your liver is filtering two quarts of blood on average per minute and your kidneys are filtering that blood and turning it into urine. And so the better hydrated you are, the better and more efficient that detox – process is going to function. And if we're talking about increasing your water, I think we talk a lot about not drinking out of plastics for the endocrine disruptors and the importance of stainless steel. But the sourcing of your water is really important too. So like unprocessed spring water is really important. I'll put a link here where you can find a spring in your environment. And then also the type of water that Becky and I both drink is the Mountain Valley spring water. A lot of people are asking all the time. Um, So they're these glass globes that are true spring. So most water that you buy, even if it's like a, a, a good name brand or whatnot, their minerals are removed and then they add, you know, varied, um, minerals in a non-natural form, like a synthetic form to adjust the pH. And then, you know, any tap water, even if it's clean, quote unquote, has a lot of chemicals added in that processing of the water. So we're talking about beyond chlorine, um, a lot of compounds that, you know, kill off potential pathogens and that can have a negative
2: impact on our microbiome. Sure. And even if you're filtering, like that's, typically not enough if you live in kind of a dirty city like Houston.
1: Totally. So, you know, being mindful of that. So we'll put some links there. And then something that I like to biohack my water even further, um, I've been really into um, Peak Tea sent me some samples. I just shared them with you. I have some Um, in my water
2: literally right now.
1: <laughs> cool. Yeah. so you know they are organic. They don't have the toxins that you would see with tea bag. They're these uh, dried tea crystals. Um, the only ingredient would be the organic tea and then potentially like another herb or something. Um, but they're an awesome way, like the lemongrass, green tea, and things like that. I'll put a link here where you could save ten percent with them. And um, it's a great way to boost up. Again, you're biohacking your water by, not only having it taste better and hopefully helping with hydration, but you're going to add benefits to actually support your microbiome. You know, tea can actually kill off pathogenic bacteria and yeast. Um, Tea has been shown in studies to also support body fat burn, enhance cognitive function, um, support stress response. So you're going to get, again, kind of a two for one by souping up your water, if you will. Um, And they're in those really convenient little packs that you can add to cold or hot, which is pretty cool.
2: So good for like travel or at your desk or something like that. And we can also link to our water infusions blog that has a whole bunch of other different ideas of things you can add to your water to not only enhance the flavor, but actually enhance hydration status and how that water gets into your cells. And it's funny, um, Byron is doing our virtual keto program that just started last week, and I've told him for years that he doesn't drink enough water. And he came out of that class. I was like, oh, what did you learn? And his biggest takeaway was the why that he needs to drink more water. He didn't realize. And I don't think I've ever told him. I've just been like, here's your water. Here's how many times you need to fill it up. It's really important. And I don't think I ever told him like, oh, it actually aids in that lipolysis or that, you know, breaking of those fat cells as you're trying to lose body fat. And for him, that was such a click that like last night at Whole Foods, he was searching for the perfect water bottle because the 10 that I've given him are not. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah.
1: So connecting water with oxygen, yes. another essential element to life, right? Enhancing your oxygenation is another cool thing. So, again, biohacking, like there's oxygen bars, right? Like where you actually can, you know, insert the, the nasal um, – And actually, take in pure oxygen. And that does help with brain function. It does help with mood. It does help to support your cardiovascular health. Um, But you could also just work on your process of breathing, you know? Mm -hmm. So, like filling your lungs deeply and breathing through your diaphragm and taking the time throughout your day to practice breath, right? That's also going to reground that vagus nerve that carries from the central nervous system down to the intestinal tract and support your stress access. And when you're breathing – Think about if you have toxins in your household that you have to detox. So I will also put a fun link um, to the starter pack by Branch Basics. You guys see me on Instagram using this all the time. Um, This is a great biohack for your household because there are a lot of endocrine disrupting toxic compounds that disrupt your thyroid hormone, your sexual hormones, and are just toxic, although they might be antibacterial cleansers, they're things that we do not want to be inhaling. And Branch Basics is a mineral and plant-based cleaner that I allow my two-and-a-half-year-old to use. (laughs) So, you know, it's a really awesome concentrate that you dilute to varied different dilutions based on if you're cleaning glass or service surfaces. Um, There's also a product of theirs that I use in my lawn laundry um and I'll put a code that you guys can use for 10% off but that's a great like step again to biohack your environment and again then you could add something like an essential oil uh which we talked about a lot of the benefits when we did our immune podcast episode uh 114 I believe it was or was that one fifty one fourteen? 114
2: I think it was 114 but I'll yeah. link to the right one in the show notes. yes
1: <laughs> yeah so that's another one that you can then add when you're inhaling right so you're getting some benefit
2: there Awesome. And then beyond that, I think one thing that you and I <laughs> always struggle with is um, our exposure to uh, blue light and, you know, having the laptop open late at night. So Digital about, detox. Yeah. That <laughs> influence of VMFs and our phones and our screens and our computers.
1: Yes. Yes. So digital detox would be another environment in its own, right? So I think time-restricted screen use is very good. I've been trying to be really mindful of watching that on my phone. Um, Blue blockers I do wear uh, pretty much throughout the day and definitely in the evening. And then I do have an EMF blocking board that I um, use under my laptop. We'll link one. I don't know if we have one yet, but I'll add one to the the one that I use. I think it's called Harper um, in the Amazon store. So if you are to work with your laptop, don't put it on your lap, especially ladies that are of a fertility age, not a good thing. Um, And then blacking out your bedroom, right, is a way to kind of biohack your sleep structure and adding maybe even a sleep mask on top of that to really get into that space.
2: Awesome. And then before we get into diet, let's talk a little bit about Biohacks for Stress. And I think this is a really good time for us to talk about today's episode sponsor, Santa Cruz Medicinals.
1: Yes. So Santa Cruz Medicinals is a CBD company. They make super potent formulas and they bottle in glass and their production is actually in stainless steel manufacturing to completely avoid any exposure to endocrine disruptors. So I'm super excited about that. And Their CBD sourcing is Colorado-based. They never source from China. Um, Another thing to really be mindful of if you are a CBD oil user. And adding fats in all their product, they have a CBD olive oil, a CBD coconut oil, and then their liquid CBD tincture does use a coconut um, uh, MCT-based oil. Um, So these enhance the bioavailability of CBD and ensure that you actually are going to get benefits with potency and purity.
2: Oh, it's really cool, I saw a bottle of this and, and tried it at your house on your desk um, this past weekend, but their CBD gets more pink with increased UV exposure, which if you've ever gotten like a raw harmless harvest coconut water, you'll also see that there's that variability of color. And it's actually the natural polyphenols in the coconut that are causing this effect. Plus it's like kind of pretty <laughs> and that always helps, right? Um, but their CBD is sourced from hemp, like Ali said, it's Colorado-sourced and pesticide-free. It's also lab-tested for potency and purity.
1: And then Santa Cruz Medicinals uh, also has a lavender-infused clay mask, which is super dreamy, anti-inflammatory, awesome tool for any skin conditions of concern. And then they have a infused pain cream as well for topical use. So you can go over to San- SC Medicinals for santacruzmedicinals.com, scmedicinals.com, put in the code AllieMillerRD, and you'll get 10% off and free shipping on your first order. Again, that's SC Medicinals dot com, RD as the coupon code for
2: 10% off and free shipping. Oh my gosh. I need to try that lavender mask. That's (laughs) amazing. Um, You know how much I like my face masks. I know you do. (laughs) All right. So CBD would be a good biohack for pain modulation, stress response, um, for sure. But any other tools, um, in terms of HPA access dysfunction or stress and anxiety that you would throw out there. Obviously the anti anxiety diet, not a biohacking tool person. Se- yes, it is. It's a book. Yes it can is. <laughs> like it's not a supplement. Uh, but yeah, it totally is. Yeah. You yeah. you still have to implement
1: the right. constructs of the right. book. Right. <laughs> <Correct. books>, buying a <laughs> book will not biohack your biology. Exactly. Right. That's what I was That's saying. Lying. <laughs> Applying the information yes. is absolutely multifactorial biohacking for sure. But yeah, let's for a minute jive on uh, CBD oil and then I'll, I'll talk about a couple of the supplements in the Naturally Nourished line and then we'll bring on our friend Joe. Um, so if we're talking about... CBD. We have cannabidiol receptors in our body, right? And we're just starting to understand the influence of this compound on anti-inflammatory mechanisms. We do know that CBD can reduce anxiety. In fact, I incorporate research of this in the anti-anxiety diet book. And we know that it also helps to reduce blood pressure. There's been randomized crossover research on that. So it definitely has an impact on that vasoconstriction and that stress response. Um, We do know that CBD can help with intestinal inflammation. I use it in almost all of my inflammatory bowel disease clients. Um, And it can help with pain like basically pain receptor impact and inflammation it has natural anti-inflammatory mechanisms so there's cognitive mood and inflammatory impact that that would be a great thing to consider adding to your wellness ritual I take CBD oil probably three to four times a week. It's not one of my daily tools. um, And I use it in the evening if I feel like I need deeper qualitative restorative sleep or if I have a really intensive day, I add it to my coffee or my matcha and that helps to modulate and further support stress response.
2: Awesome. And then other stress-supporting supplements, we talked about the Common Clear already. That's
1: daily, yeah. So like, if I'm talking about my bubble yes. wrap, and if we're talking about bubble wrap, it's this idea, right, biohacking, I know I'm susceptible to high stress demand. It comes with the territory of running a busy clinic and just doing all of the things. So I am going to be proactive and not allow that impact and burnout, which would Influence negatively my ability to well shine and put it all out there for you guys. So the stress support bundle is one of my like non-negotiations. I take between four to six calm and clear every single day, and I take three to four adaptogen boost every single day. And then I actually pulse between GABA calm and adrenal support. Those two formulas are ones that I personally don't take every day. I kind of listen to the feedback of my body. And I know Becky, you take the adrenal support every single day, but yes. not the GABA calm every single day. Is that right?
2: That's correct. Yeah, the gap, okay. and you know, it's a good sign. I'm like needing that less and less. Good.
1: <laughs> Your hands That's aren't shaking before every. We... Better. <laughs> yeah, it's good. And then relax and regulate is one of my other non-negotiables. Like every single day, I'm taking that scoop at bed with my GI lining powder because I know that from testing my stool, my secretory IGA was low, and my concept of that is that stress that I'm dealing with that I'm trying to bubble wrap does deplete glutamine. And so I'm proactive with using the GI lining support as well. Even though I don't experience food sensitivity or symptoms of gut distress, I know that my gut is susceptible to that
2: wear and tear. Awesome. So I'll make sure I link all of those formulas that we've just spoken about. Now, let's talk a little bit about how we can use diet to biohack, and then we'll bring Joe in to kind of round out this concept for us.
1: Yes. I'm super excited about that, that connection of, again, like how we can biohack the beast, <laughs> an animal, to, to fit within our lifestyle. So I think it kind of brings things full circle. So if we're biohacking our diet, we're going to start with, of course, a clean anti-inflammatory diet, which is going to have good quality protein – more on that in a moment – healthy fats um, – anti-inflammatory herbs and seasonings, right? So using a good amount of fresh herbs, dried seasonings that are organic, um, vegetables and good array of cruciferous, alliums, which is our sulfur-containing foods, and then uh, berries and moderate amount of fruits if that works within our carbohydrate restriction. We'd want to definitely remove all refined sugars um, as well as non-caloric sweeteners because those could cause distress to our biochemical a and p impact and we'd also want to remove any processed products or as i love to call them chemical shit storms because they're going to confuse our body's biochemistry
2: awesome and then beyond that keto would be another um and i think this is talked about like in the biohacking realm i think intermittent fasting is is talked about a lot as well but keto would definitely be another biohack
1: Absolutely. I mean, the the mechanism of producing ketones is going to reduce oxidative processes in the body. We know that ketones are anti-inflammatory and that making nutritional ketones in that state actually modifies the Krebs cycle. So how our body uses energy, it actually shifts the ratio of NADH to NADP positive and is going to influence our mitochondrial production of energy. That's why we call ketones high-octane brain fuel, right, that put out less debris or less gunk um, rather than being a sugar burner where it's a lot more metabolic distress. So yes, ketosis would be biohacking the brain for cognition, biohacking for anti-inflammatory support, um, and then also mitochondrial or energy support.
2: Awesome. And then in terms of food, quality, I think, is, is a really big part to emphasize and really just getting back to that ancestral diet in the sense of how our food is grown or produced.
1: For sure. So like eating in season, right? We can biohack our biology by eating what is grown locally um, because we're going to get more density of the phyto compounds, the the array of antioxidants and natural plant-based material that come with a plant being ripened at the time of growth versus like buying tomatoes that are harvested before they've ripened and been sprayed with ethanol, right? You're you're not going to get as much lycopene, for instance, in that. So if you want to biohack your biology to support cardiovascular health, you'd want to wait for tomatoes in season or those that have been picked in season and then are canned and processed to allow higher amounts even of that bioavailability. Heirloom varietals are another thing to consider, right? So we'll get typically more nutritional density with like the purple cosmic carrots, absolutely, and definitely more flavors. So you use less in the kitchen, and that means that you could still incorporate carrot with a successful keto diet. Uh, getting back to whole food fats in the ancestral approach, right? So lard, grass fed butter, ghee, cold pressed olive oil, and then definitely being mindful of what the ruminants that we're consuming are eating. So grass-fed, pasture-raised meats we know are going to have more nutritional density. So let's transition and bring in our friend Joe from Crowd Cow to tell us more about that in a little bit of an intimate picture. So we have talked about Crowd Cow in our episodes, uh, definitely closing out, I think, the last 10 episodes of 2018. And it goes without saying that we only accept sponsorship from like-minded, quality-focused, value-added brands. But we thought it would be really cool to round out today's episode on biohacking about getting back to our roots as we talked about ancestral eating, eating with the seasons. But if we're eating whole, real foods, I know that Joe from Crowd Cow knows a lot about how the animal's diet is going to influence the nutrition and really the flavor profiles and make a superior meat product. So we are bringing on Joe from Crowd Cow. Welcome, Joe.
3: Oh, thanks for having me. It's great to be here.
1: Awesome. So let's tell listeners just maybe a little bit about Crowd Cow and uh, you know why you started the company in the first place and what the mission is behind it.
3: Yeah. Well, um, wonderful. Thank you. Uh, I, where to begin? Um, I started <laughs> this journey with my co-founder as a uh, consumer hunting for better flavors and healthier things to eat. Um, inspired by a friend of mine who, you know, came to the office one day and said, you know, he was all excited. And he said, I'm getting my cow on Friday. And I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, and he said, I, I go to the, the farm on Woodby Island. I know the farmer, I know how he raises the animal. I know how he takes care of the land and he grows the grass there. I know what the cows are eating. It tastes better, and I feel better serving that to my kids. And I just instantly felt incredibly jealous about this <laughs> direct connection he had to this better food. And when I thought about the grocery store experience and that foreboding meat counter where they can't even tell you what country it came from, I just felt like I this is the way. You've, you know, it was like. Just a moment of clarity. Um, when I spoke to my co-founder, Ethan, and his, he, he said, well, my wife's a vegetarian, so we can't buy like a whole cow. Um, we got to talking about there really should be a way in the modern era where on your iPhone, you can meet the farmer virtually, really see and learn what they're raising and how they're doing that, and buy as little or as much of the product uh, as you want to serve, to eat, to enjoy.
1: I love that. So there's like a direct consumer to producer connection. You're also supporting small scale farmers. And that's something I think that a lot of listeners may not know about, you know, uh, the the uh, buy-ins of such large corporate impact on beyond like the the. CAFOs, the, the confined animal far, uh, farm operations or factory operated yeah. uh, beef, yeah. that even some of the quote unquote natural beef is large industrialized sure. scale. And it's not all <laughs> cows eating grass and smiling and, and no. understanding a direct connection.
3: <laughs> no, the sad thing is, I think the sad thing about modern uh, society and perhaps capitalism itself is when it's out of sight, out of mind you know, the the negative things that you may care about, but you can't see can build up and grow in ways that you wouldn't support if you knew about it. So when you talk about concentrated feedlots, which you can smell from 20 miles away,
2: yeah, sure. Right? yeah, sure,
3: do you want your food to have come from that, the thing you're serving your children uh, or you're enjoying with your right. friends on a Friday night? No, you know, um, I haven't been to a single farm that smelled bad, that's producing any, any of the the natural meats that we serve. And I'm proud of that. And, and I, I know intuitively that when I know the farmer and my dollars are supporting that person and I can say to them, Hey, it was good. I liked it. Or, or, Hey, have you tried this? Or what are you doing there? Um, what's in the feed, etc." that there's a direct connection between, you know, where my dollars are going and what they're doing. And that feedback loop creates a, a partnership. We're just trying to provide that now at a greater scale because we take the customer feedback we get and we show it to the farmers first time they've ever seen feedback from customers directly
1: <laughs> right yeah, yeah.
3: And, and that's that so cool creates a feedback loop that provides the right incentives for everyone to do the right things and to enjoy and have a better experience so we say our mission is to provide access to that better beef but also to bring people together that's a, a good I, point.
1: I love that. And Becky and I always are trying to educate our listeners on, the, you know, understanding the why. And, um, you know, it's interesting when I did my virtual detox class, I talked to a rancher on camera with that. And we talked about the impact of, you know, why prophylactic antibiotics are used in, in the industry. And, and, you know, it's because the animals are living in shit and they're being fed massive amounts of grains to increase their weight. And the ruminants create a a lot of bloat, they actually go into ketoacidosis, which is why they have to be on prophylactic antibiotics so they don't get septic. And so it's this like total, uh, you know, and I think when you understand that, it's like, wow, we've tried to, and connecting the dots of biohacking, right? We've yeah. tried to biohack the cow to be yeah. a grain fueled, uh, you know, yeah. carbon fueled beast. Mm. And it's like, it's a grass fed animal. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we I mean, need to get back to our roots.
3: The reasons for that are, are simple in my mind. It goes back to that grocery store experience. You know, I, I like to joke when you're in the grocery store you've only got time to make split second decisions and there's probably a three-year-old tugging on your leg right and so as you know what the capitalist society you know big ag has designed in that retail environment for you as a consumer is split second decisions so it's stock art photography and labels and and the second factor that's really important here is that i think really since world war ii right it was, how can we get protein, which is important for health, to the masses cheaply? And so that yeah. that sent us onto a 50-plus year mission, us, the society, to create this giant commodity system, which doesn't reward, it rewards only very simple things, like the label that's on there, or the marble, the score, you know, it's prime, choice, or select. So... Now, what's out of sight, out of mind is that the, quote, most efficient way to get the higher level grade, to get the more money in that system, is, like you said, to push antibiotics in and force feed and, and you know, just, just uh, efficiency of numbers. You know, the, more, the less people you have tending to the cattle, the greater concentration of cattle you have. Again, if your customer is only seeing a label and a stock art for the photo, and they're not smelling the feedlot lot because they don't live right. twenty miles of it. <laughs> then they still may make the purchase decision, and that rewards that super scale big ag commodity thing, you know. Yep. and it's a lower price, nice label done. And right. it's funny because it, it's not just at the super scale either. I was on a farm in Montana, and they said, you know, uh, we were replacing uh, wooden fence posts on a on a barbed wire fence in a in a in a in a, in a Montana ranch with. Over a thousand acres, homestead deed land. Okay. This 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 is um, natural prairie land that's never seen any kind of chemical fertilizer or anything ever, right? Because it's just a remote and they've always done things the way they've done in their family since the homestead. It's been in the family. And we're replacing uh barbed wire fence posts that are wooden. And the farmer laughed and he said, Well, this is why we're not organic certified. And I was like, What do you mean you're not organic out here? What the how could that be? And he said, Well, these are treated wood fence posts, so we can't get the organic certification. I said, What does that mean the cow is gonna like lick the paint? And I said, you well, know, why don't you, you know, why don't cause, cause there's a right, there's a benefit. If you have the organic sticker on the label with a nice Stark, right. stark art photo, people will buy it at seven percent more often or whatever it is, right? Probably mm-hmm. probably more like eighty percent more often.
2: Sure. And, and that
3: yeah. there's so many, and he, he can't get that <laughs> sticker. And, yeah. and I'm like, well, why don't you use the untreated wood? And he said, well, they would, you know, it snowed 12 feet here last year, and we'd have to chop down a forest every year just to replace the wood. You know, yeah. So it just it just makes no sense that that particular certification program in the context of that farm. So our yeah. my epiphany as a consumer is like we've got to show people the farmer. People have to yes. know where it's coming from, literally down to the name of the little town, what breed it is, how they're raising it. They've got to taste it for themselves and have that direct connection. And, and you know, that, that's the way out of this these problems.
2: I love it. And, and beyond just the organic sticker that's going on something, let's talk about why access to pasture and grass-fed actually matters. And, you know, you can have organic beef that's been grain finished for sure there's a lot of variability in the marketplace especially what's on grocery store shelves and there's a lot of deception there i think as well Well, or lack
3: of consumer knowledge so just some basic terms you know grass fed means ate grass and grass fed grass finished means um ate grass all the way through to the end right so grass finished finishing in a cattle means what did they eat during the last several months where the muscles and fats are really developing into the flavors we're used to when we eat beef and the health properties of those fats. And so grass-finished is a particular term that means they were finished on grass as opposed to other types of feeds, which would include grains and grass mixtures. Um, that, that, that whole set of, of terminology there, grass-fed, grass-finished, just pertains to the food. It has nothing to do with where the animal was raised or what breed it was or how it was treated or anything else. So reason i point that out is because uh currently within the, the beef world grass fed grass finished in particular is the fastest growing kind of uh sub-segment of beef grass fed grass finished in particular ate nothing but grass and so it's growing really fast a lot of investments going into it of course the big ag is jumping in to capitalize and a bunch yeah. of other upstarts a mm-hmm. bunch of other upstarts as well and the problem is you can call it grass fed, grass finished whether it was, you know, grown on one farm, transported across to a feedlot, feedlots now feeding manufactured grass pellets instead of grains, and we can call it, oh and that's gosh. what's happening. So when you said <laughs> access to pasture, that's a whole different thing. Now you're talking about yeah, how pasture is,
1: raised, yeah, yeah. yeah.
3: How was the animal treated? Where was it raised? Who raised it? Did people care about it? Um, and those things are all important, regardless of feed. Uh, because the stress and anxiety experienced by an animal will profoundly affect how it metabolizes its food, how the beef tastes, and how healthy the, the fats and meat is.
1: 110% agree. And I actually talk about in my book, the anti-anxiety diet, glutamine um, is one of the big ones, right, that we look at with cows. There was actually a research study where they did like acupressure on cows before uh, before slaughter. And they saw that in feedlot or I guess large scale slaughter, glutamine levels just totally diminish because of that stress response of the animal. Mm -hmm. And we've seen that in smaller scale when they're, you know, air gun, taking them out, boom, they were literally eating (laughs) grass that day, boom. And the next day they're done. Mm -hmm. um, That the less of the stress response actually creates a more tender product Mm -hmm. because glutamine Mm -hmm. depletion, where is it the muscle mass
3: that's right yeah it's this um adrenaline released by the stress even right up at the last moment of slaughter but also throughout their life can uh i think interact yeah. with with uh the uh the glycogen levels which would normally convert it to lactic acid it can um right. change the ph balance it can make the meat spoil faster i say when when you've had beef in your f- fridge and it turns gray um hello that's a sign right there um <laughs> Mm-hmm. That, that, yeah. that you may not uh, have the uh, may not have been treated as well not for sure but but could be I was one of my first experiences with this subject you know again I'm a consumer and I was rather naive at the beginning one of my very first experiences I was on um this uh island called orcas island here near Seattle very beautiful place
1: I've been to orcas yeah. island it's, it's amazing a gorgeous, well, gorgeous, unique. gorgeous
3: place <laughs> and the, the farmer there was is very soft-spoken the the gentleman um by the name of scott he's uh, always speaks very quietly but especially when he's walking out he's like come on out they don't know you joe i'm just gonna talk like this so they know we're coming joe is coming we're coming to see the cattle hello cattle how are you it's a bright day he's just talking like this and i'm like this guy's <laughs> kooky what is going on you know and i spent a lot of time with him. i spent the whole day with him i spent another whole day with him and i finally asked him i'm like so when we go out there with the cattle, you're always talking to them and like, and then you're petting them gently and you're spending. And he's, and I'm like, why are you doing that? And he goes, cause the meat will taste better. <laughs> and I was like, Whoa. that's,
1: awesome. that's so not awesome. what I
3: expected. I was expecting some yeah. hippy dippy something else. Yeah. Spirituality. <laughs> I don't know, but it was, he got right to the point. He's like, the meat will taste better. And um, it really blew me away <laughs> because then that started a whole conversation with him and every farmer that we meet around animal treatment yeah. and taste and why those are linked. To oh, I love
1: that. Yeah. I love that. So yeah, pasture raised, thinking of the element of actually how it's raised, right? Stress, environment. And can we highlight for listeners some of the nutritional? So we talked about maybe how that impacts the the meat spoilage factor or the, the texture of the meat and flavor profile. Um, how about like nutrient highlights of pasture raised grass finished um, and, and anything we want to note on there?
3: Sure. sure well I mean so first of all like red meat kind of regardless of the feed or type of feed or even type of grass, that's another thing by the way people say you know everyone everyone wants it to be simple. Uh, grass fed grass finished like I said is that a is that a, a grass pellet in a feedlot because dried grass doesn't have the same nutrients as fresh grass. Not only that, there are many kinds of grass. That's so sad. Farmers in Montana will say that their local native clump grasses have more protein even when they're dried out, which is really important because in the winter, guess what? They have to dry it out to feed them. (laughs) So these kind of locale factors around the types of grasses are something that the farmers really understand and relate back to the the meat quality. But what I was going to say is red meat, kind of regardless of what it's eating or even what breed it is, both of which will affect things are great sources of all sorts of vitamins, as you, I'm sure you know, essential amino acids, vitamin A, B6, B12, D, E, minerals, great for brain health. Um, what you'll generally see in the research uh, people hone into when they compare uh, grass-finished and grain-finished rations will be uh, talking about the, the um, essential fatty acids, so omega-3 and omega-6. Right. Particularly, particularly what they're talking about is the ratio of those two and then the oleic acid is the third one that, that people really focus on, especially um, as it turns out in Japan. But um, the essential fatty acids, the omega-3 fatty acids and omega-6 fatty acids have been studied extensively within beef or without as um, they cannot be synthesized by the human body naturally. So you have to get them from your food. And typical American diet would have you eating a lot more omega-6 than omega-3, more than what is optimal. So the optimal ratio, from what I understand, is you want one to four times as much omega-6 as omega-3, and you're typically getting like 30 times as much or maybe 10 times as much instead, right. two much mm-hmm. omega-6. And so as it pertains to grass-finished and grain-finished to the punchline, it is grass-finished beef will have naturally occurring ratios of omega-3 to omega-6, which are more within the guidelines of what is healthier, typically. Not always. Again, when you consider breed, what kind of grass, what kind of feed, it may upset all of this down to the level of what is the actual farm you're getting your beef from.
1: Sure, and you know the omega threes. The beauty of a, a ruminant or having this animal that eats grass do this for you is they convert that conjugated linoleic acid or CLA, this kind of like precursor, into the active omega threes that our body uses for anti-inflammatory and cognitive support. And then I've also seen in a lot of studies that grass-fed, uh, grass-finished, having higher amounts of certain minerals that that grasses have over grains, like selenium, for yes. instance, which is you know a really important antioxidant for detox support and, and so forth and, and vitamin E most definitely as well in the, in the grasses. Yeah,
3: I think that's right. And I think it also depends on one's own uh, health situation and goals. Um, I think the big, totally. the big one would be the ratio on uh, omega-3 to omega-6 has a correlation to uh, different inflammatory disorders. So you know if that's something right. that, that someone is, is very sensitive to, then I think they should be steering more towards grass finished in general.
1: Right. And and I think that's why, unfortunately, beef gets a, a bad hit by um, some health consumers that maybe aren't as knowledgeable. Um, in my household, I have a two-and-a-half-year-old, and we eat red meat from locally sourced cows, um, and we are really – aiming for it probably five to six times a week. Oh, wow. <laughs> and it's like a very big staple in our household. Yeah. And um, definitely I, I attest to the fact that it can be absolutely health supporting and it, the connection. And let's, let's go into a little bit of the genetics, Joe, because one that I haven't tried from C- crowd cow, I've tried a couple different things, but I haven't tried the a five way I would like you to talk about that. Yeah. It's like on my bucket list. Um, yeah. And uh, let's talk a little bit about variations in heritage and breed.
3: Sure. Yeah. Let me quickly do the little family tree or history of what that word means really quick. And then we can talk about the health because there are some very special things Ah, that most people don't know about it. Um, So the word Wagyu, um, which everyone knows by this point, and it's a very famous word, but very confusing. All that means is Japanese cow. And so if you go to Japan, there are four breeds of cattle that are native to Japan. Okay. Four breeds of Wagyu and so wagyu just means japanese cow and there are four that are native one of those breeds is called kuruge or black black cow um, the kuruge washu breed and that breed is genetically special in that just purely based on its genes or and other they also how they raise it what they feed it but but without those genes it wouldn't do this thing which is to create a lot more fat uh, within the interior of the muscle so that's what it's famous for when you hear wagyu it's famous because of this one breed and it's famous because it's just full of this intermuscular fat. Um, now let's switch to the, the, uh, the health properties and, and what is that fat? It turns out, and the Japanese obsess over this by the way, that that fat in the Kuroge Washu breed, not only is it more abundant and it's inside and it's all fine grained inside the tissue. So it creates this m- melts in the mouth, wonderful mouth feel. It also, um, melts at a body temperature it's very different even to your hands to touch it it will sort of melt away as opposed to normal beef uh, tallow or fat so and that's because it's chemically different and one of the ways in which it's chemically different is it has a lot higher level of oleic acid Um, oleic acid being a heart healthy uh, fatty acid Mm. Um, so when you look at kuroge washu even grain finished kuroge washu It'll have a lot higher levels of oleic acid than any other breed, even if it's grass finished um, uh, beef. So in Japan, they really prize their beef not only because it's you know melts in your mouth and all that stuff, but because it's this it has this heart health, healthy oleic acid content. They also say in Japan, they also uh, say that the oleic acid um, contributes to the umami flavor profiles that are very unique to that breed. It's almost like a a sweet tasting, very different experience as, a, as a, you know, be the difference between like the first time you ever had like a shot of espresso, you know, except not bitter and like, Ooh, what's that? But more like, wow, that's amazing. That's delicious. I want
1: that. Uh-huh.
3: <laughs> very different. It'd be like the difference between a glass of cold milk and a bite of ice cream. You know, it's just it's yeah. really <laughs> beautiful, totally different experience within the the world of beef. So people prize it.
1: Yeah, and if you go on, like, Cow's Instagram, you will see beautiful images, and on their website, of course, <laughs> of this, like, deep intermuscular marbleization. It looks like like butter. Like, you just want to sink your teeth into it.
3: <laughs> it's very rich. And what's Pretty really cool. what's really neat awesome. about it, too, is it is it really highlights that, you know, a cow is not a cow. There are all these different breeds. And, you know, for us, that's really right. exciting. That was one of the things as a consumer, again, that we were like – well, these cows look different. Well, that's because they're one hundred percent purebred Hereford cow cows. I am like, really? Oh, interesting. Hereford. I haven't heard of that. You know, and it's like all I've heard of is Angus, seventy five percent of right, the right. stock. It's the commodity. It'd be like, oh, that's funny. All I've ever heard of is Wonder Bread. You know, yeah, <laughs> right. What is the right. dry bread you, you you share? You know, it's like it's like yes. going to the, yeah. the artisanal bakery overseas for the first time, and you are like, what are all these things? Um, it yeah. feels like that it felt like that to us you know there was another breed we found called piedmontese which comes from italy originally and there are breeders in the u.s that preserve that breed as a purebred thing and are very proud of it because that's what their grandparents did and the piedmontese is also like karoge washu has a genetic predisposition but instead of taking its food and producing all this extra fat inside the muscle it takes its food and actually produces too much muscle so the animals look all kind of bulby look like the uh the You know, like they've got, they look like bodybuilders, these cattle do, you know, with all this extra muscle and they don't use the muscle. So they've got a bunch of flabby, unused extra muscle that their genes create. And the beef then, it turns out to be very lean. So you look at it, you're like, that New York steak is red and I don't want it because there's no fat. And I know that that's not good because the commodity world has taught me that it needs to have the marbling, you know. Put them in a feedlot, jam food down their throats, make the marbling come out, earn a higher price, right? Well, Piedmontese is the opposite. Take a Piedmontese, especially grass finished, it'll produce almost no fat, like very lean. But when you eat it, it's just the most tender thing. It's like it's it's more tender than tenderloin. It's it's incredibly different and tastes incredibly delicious. So we're we're looking at it like coffee or beer or wine. There's all these varietals people just haven't haven't discovered because kind of like taking all the different tomatoes, all the big, the big ag world has only given you Heinz tomato ketchup. So you never knew. Right. You never knew there were all these different wonderful uh, inputs. Or
1: apples. What if you only, what if you only ate red, delicious apples that are mealy (laughs) and out of season? (laughs) You know, it's like, "Ah, I think it's such a great comparison. And you know, and the sad thing
3: is over the years when they, um, you know, raise these products, these natural products, a certain way, they actually start to change their, uh, through their breeding and their their composition of the animal so they start to change what they're all about like apples become less nutritious and more right. full of sugar right. and these things that are kind of sad byproducts again out of sight out of mind right they're not getting rewarded unless it has the organic sticker and this and that you know stick you know claim on the thing in a stock art photo and so we're you know trying to move away from that by going back to the farm direct to them.
1: Yes, yes, and that—that's the whole idea. What we you're saying in this episode is, you know, biohacking doesn't have to always be the add-on. It could be the the going back, right? Going back to the roots of how did we get dysfunctional? How did we get nutrient depleted? How did this cow become something that we view as a, a negative? How do we find the the harmonious connection of you know what the nutrition density is and. And the relationship, I think, is so important, too. Uh, Let's close out, Joe, by talking about some flavor profiles and such. So one thing I thought was really cool about your ground beef is that a lot of it is dry aged, um, which is really unique, I think. You know, I I noticed for for sure when cooking with it that flavor profiles were really on point and a lot less, like, drainage and whatnot and wetness. Um, Let's talk about that and um, maybe just for consumers when they're, like, ordering even at a restaurant. A steak what's the difference of dry age and wet age
3: sure. so um wet so aging just means it takes some time between you know slaughter and butchering and when you eat it right and what happens during that time wet age just means it's been sealed in a plastic bag essentially uh, for transport and, and sort of a fancy term was put on that called wet aging and it really was i think designed to make you think about the steakhouse and it really wasn't uh designed for any kind of flavor reason, although there have been plenty of people who will say, well, that's not true. When it's been wet aged, it'll mellow out and this and that. Dry aging, on the other hand, really came from an artisanal uh, practice. I- ironically, it too started with, you know, you're transporting it, you're keeping it cold. While it's being transported and kept cold, it sort of starts to starts to change a little bit, let's say, right? The meat starts to decompose, mm-hmm. if you will, maybe, um, and, and, and starts to chemically change that. Concent- and the water weight is taken out. It's basically dehydrating the meat slightly. Um, this is called dry aging. It concentrates flavors and it makes the beef more tender. If you go to extreme dry aging, which a lot of steakhouses will do, like 180-day extreme dry age, you even start to get funky flavors or umami flavors, almost like hints of like mushrooms or cheeses and things. And it's mm-hmm. it can be very delicious and really fun to, to try those things. Um, grass-finished beef tends to be a little leaner. And so most, nearly all, grass-finished beef producers will, will insist on dry aging because because they know that the typical American su- consumer may be more used to a grain-finished beef that's more tender because it's got more fat. So to kind of counteract that, they'll say, let's dry-age it a little bit, and that'll make it more tender. And that way, people won't freak out when they try it for the first time. Oh, my gosh, this is not as tender as I'm used to. And because it's, it's, because it's been... Um, dry age it'll taste a little better therefore it'll kind of mellow it out a little bit and that's sort of why they do it but um when you take an animal that's been raised for steak you know dry age it and produce ground beef from that it's it's a completely different product it's it is delicious as you mentioned um, incidentally when Shake Shack yeah. when Shake Jack expanded to uh, to Seattle um, they approached us and we helped them source the ground beef for their signature burgers here in Seattle
1: Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. After tasting that's them so and, awesome.
3: and, and realizing, wow, this is completely a different experience. No one here, no one who works cool. at Crowd Cow can actually eat ground beef except from Crowd Cow. Uh, because right. if, you, if you go out, like order, why would I spend 10 bucks on a hamburger? Because it's just right. throwing money away. It doesn't taste good. Yeah. And you don't know where it's going. Right. You know? Oh my Costco, gosh. You
1: may have You may have ruined me. No. Costco
3: used to sell, you know, there used to be this thing called the Country of Origin, a requirement, which they, they removed. If you can believe that, you know, a couple of years ago, the, they used to have to tell you where the beef was yeah. from and they removed that requirement. So before they removed that requirement, Costco used to sell their organic ground beef. And on the package, it used to say it came from these five countries. So you've got oh. one pound of ground beef in your hand. <laughs> and it says, cause they were required to tell you, here are five <laughs> countries that might've come from five countries. You
1: know, oh my gosh! <laughs> uh,
3: and they don't have to tell you that anymore. So now it just says organic ground beef. Point is, um, it's not coming from animals raised to produce steak from a local farm where it's been dryish, and it won't taste the same. It's it's a completely different, much upgraded experience.
1: And how about for those listeners that are newly bringing? beef uh, back into their diet um what are your favorite cuts i guess of this month that you guys are offering and, and how, how do you like to prepare a steak
3: Ooh, that's a great question um okay. <laughs> i know
1: right it could be a whole episode so, but... <laughs> yeah i
3: mean i personally always have the f- same favorite cut like i love the cross cut short ribs they're just uh, because for me it sort of represents my um before crowd cow after crowd cow cross cut short ribs a, is a, a thin kind of pretty fat like gristly almost usually cut it's kind of hard to chew usually but i loved it because they do it in korean barbecue in japan and i used to love it it was always associated with like good memories when i was traveling there whatever so i would go in in the united states i'd try to find this cut and they just simply don't sell it in the grocery stores um so i'd go to chinatown and i'm always like this is mystery meat you know i'm buying the cut I don't know where, it's been. <laughs> and I don't know if it's good, but I'm just right. you know it's a once in a blue moon thing. I'm going to cook it. That's fine. And then when we started selling it, we'd buy, of course, we buy the whole animal, so we sell every cut. Mm-hmm. And the first time I tried the cross-cut short ribs from one of our farms, it was so good. It was so delicious, tender, completely flavorful, in a much better than anything out there. So for me, it's that. The way I would do it is just marinate it. Um, which would be a combination of things. You use a little pear juice and some soy sauce, some meating, uh, salt and pepper, marinate it for, you know, an, a half an hour to four hours and then just grill it on a super high heat over a charcoal grill, super high heat real fast. And then eat it right away. Delicious. Um, probably put garlic in that marinade too, by the way. Um, how to cook a steak, yeah. <laughs> how I cook steaks. This is my go-to is like, I've got a lot of steaks in my freezer, so they're frozen. I'll pull it out so it starts to thaw on the surface while I prepare a salad or a side dish. And then I rip the steak out of the packaging, still totally frozen, but maybe a little thawed on the surface. I'll salt and pepper it, and then I'll throw it in a hot cast iron pan with a little bit of uh, avocado oil or, or some high smoke point oil at super high heat. So I'm just putting a good crust on a frozen steak.
1: Sierra. Sound
3: weird. Okay. And then I'll put that whole cast iron pan in my oven at about 300 degrees for seven minutes or so, and pull it out, let it rest, and I've got a perfect medium rare steak.
1: Beautiful. Like like three to five minutes per side on that sear?
3: Depends. I mean, I'm going – my stove gets really hot, so I'm like one or okay. two minutes. <laughs> I'm looking at it. I'm, li- okay. I'm okay. listening to it. It gets real hot in mine, so I want a good crust yeah. on it. Yeah.
2: Mm, love it. I awesome. I not tried that from frozen.
1: I haven't yeah, tried my frozen. I do this. I do this here in oven finish, but I, that seems like that would save it, me a whole it's step. Life-changing cause <laughs> yeah. you can go,
3: it's life-changing because you can go from like, I think I want a steak to like the beautiful, perfectly cooked steak in like 20 minutes flat. Um,
2: you've just um, like blown my mind and taken away such a barrier yeah. to me eating steak. Totally
1: doing <laughs> it. Which yes. Awesome.
3: Cooking from frozen is, is wonderful recommend. Right
1: yes. Well, thank you so much for taking the time with us today, Joe. Um, so we do have with uh CrowdCow, if you go on their website, it's crowdcow.com. Uh, you can put forward slash naturally nourished and you will get $25 off your first order. I highly encourage you to go over there and check it out and um, give us feedback on what you experienced. And everyone, including myself and Becky, I think, is going to try the buying a steak there and uh, doing it from uh, frozen because that just sounds like an awesome weekday hack that's right. a biohack in itself right. <laughs> al we've sure. got to
2: go in on some of that wagyu
1: <laughs> yes it's happening okay sounds good thank
0: you all right
1: <laughs> thanks thanks for coming on
0: thank you thank you for listening to the naturally nourished podcast visit our blog at alimillerrd.com for recipes wellness tips and food as medicine meal plans